The reading today is from Daniel 3. We're starting in verse 13, not, what it, not verse 1. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you did not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, But I see four men, unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of, God, of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the fire, burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree, any people nation, or language that speaks anything other than the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the province of, Rab of Babylon. Who is the God who saved? Who is the God who saves? Or as Nebuchadnezzar asks it in verse 15, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hand? 
Friends, that isn't just a question. That's a challenge. He's throwing down the gauntlet. The fact is, through this account, the word deliver is used nine times because that's the challenge. Who's the God who will deliver? Who is the God who is strong enough, who is powerful enough to save? Now, in order to shorten this morning's reading, I had Jeannie start reading to us from verse 13 because the chapter in the second half makes clear what happened in the first half. But in short, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon has constructed a great 90-foot-tall, 9-foot-wide golden statue there in the center of Babylon on the plain of Shinar. And he's commanded that whenever the music plays, all must bow down and worship the statue or be cast into a burning fire of furnace, furnace of fire. Well, three of the Jewish exiles who in the last chapter... We heard Daniel encourage Nebuchadnezzar to promote in his government. These three exiles now refuse to bow to Nebuchadnezzar and to his statue and to his idols. So Nebuchadnezzar has called to himself these three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he issues this challenge, this question that drives the entire narrative. Who is the God who can deliver you from my hand. Now we see that Nebuchadnezzar has built this giant golden statue to himself. You know, we might remember if you were here last week, we, we saw Nebuchadnezzar have a dream and then call in Daniel and Daniel told him the contents of the dream and then interpreted the dream to him. And it was a dream of a statue made of different types of metals. The topmost type of metal was gold and this was the interpretation from chapter 2, verses 37 and 38. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. So, so in this dream, this vision that Nebuchadnezzar had in the previous chapter, he was the head of gold. But friends, that wasn't good enough for him. It wasn't good enough. Instead of honoring the Lord and this dream that he gave him by constructing a statue made of three different types or four different types of metals and then putting a large stone beside the statue... Nebuchadnezzar completely disregards the Lord's vision, and he decides to construct his own vision. And in his vision, in the Lord's vision, he was a head of gold. But in his vision, the entire statue is made of gold. This is a statue by Nebuchadnezzar and for Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, seven times in the opening verses of this chapter, which Jeannie didn't read for us, seven times we hear the name Nebuchadnezzar declared. And more than that, eight times in this chapter, it emphasizes that this image was set up by Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 7, the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse 12, the golden image that you have set up. Verse 14, the golden image that I, Nebuchadnezzar, have set up. This is an image of Nebuchadnezzar, for Nebuchadnezzar, by Nebuchadnezzar. It's an image to his glory. This is about him. And more than that, if this, this image, it says, was of gold, and even if it was just gold-plated, which it probably was, it probably wasn't solid gold, that still represents quite a lot of gold. 
Now, you might have heard in Daniel's interpretation of the dream, he said, King, King, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given into your hands the power, the might, and the glory. He has given into your hands man and beast and bird to rule over them. So he's given Nebuchadnezzar for this time the rule, but he's also given Nebuchadnezzar the resources to rule with. Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was rich. It truly was a kingdom full of gold. But however, the gold which God had given to Nebuchadnezzar for stewardship to care for his people, what does he do with it? He takes the gold that God has given him to take care of his people and he uses it to build a statue to feed his own vain glory and his pride. He squanders the riches, the power, and the glory that were meant to care for the people under his care. And he uses it to make a name for himself by building on the plain of Shinar there in Babylon a great statue to his own glory. And friends, isn't that exactly what we saw happen a couple of weeks ago when we looked at Genesis chapter 11? In Genesis 11, we remember that humanity squandered all that God had given them. The wisdom and the ability. And on the plain of Shinar, they built a tower of Babel to the heavens. In Genesis 11.4, they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. And Nebuchadnezzar is doing again what they did so long ago. Babylon is the successor to Babel. Nebuchadnezzar's statue is the successor to the tower. And friends, the truth is, you and I are building the successor to both of them today. Humanity repeatedly squanders the good things that God has given us to use for His glory, and we use them for our own glory. We squander the time and the talent and the treasures, and we build statues of and for our own glory. Friends, it's the very nature of sin. You know, Christian author C.S. Lewis explained this beautifully. He said, every sin is the distortion of an energy breathed into us. We poison the wine as he decants it to us. We murder a melody he would play with us as his instrument. All sin, whatever it is, is sacrilege. See, God gives us good things. He gives us good things for the purpose, then, of using them for His glory, for for accomplishing the right and good purposes with those things. But what do we do? Like Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, like those gathered, the citizens of Babel, we squander the good things that He's given us that are supposed to be used for His purposes and for His glory, and instead we use those things to set up towers and kingdoms for our own glory. We are Nebuchadnezzar. We are Nebuchadnezzar. And then we, like Nebuchadnezzar, demand that other people worship along with us. Friends, idolatry always leads to tyranny. Understand this, that idolatry always leads to tyranny. Now, you you might think that idolatry would actually create a pretty safe and pluralistic society where you just live and let live. You have your gods, I have my gods, you worship your gods, I worship mine. But friends, idolatry always leads to tyranny. Because if our idols represent something of us and something from us, if our gods are somehow a reflection of us, then to refuse to worship our gods 
is to refuse and reject us. Thus, idolatry always leads to tyranny. Nebuchadnezzar demands that all must bow down and worship his statue. Friends, we experience this today. This world is not content to allow anyone to just live and let live. We cannot abstain courteously from the raucous celebration of this world's gods and idols. We must celebrate the emperor's new clothes, his new relationship, his new marriage, his new gender, his new ideology. We must fly the flag. We must bake the cake. We must use the pronouns. We must participate in the trainings. We must affirm the mantras. There's no place to abstain courteously from the raucous celebration of this world's gods and idols. When the music plays, you must bow down or you will be canceled into the fiery furnace of public opinion. Idolatry always leads to tyranny. You must worship the gods or face the consequences. And I imagine the pressure to worship Nebuchadnezzar's statue and the gods was tremendous because this was a polytheistic society. There were many gods. And when you came into a new land, you would simply add to the worship of those new gods to your old gods. And I'm sure that some said, well, hey, you don't need to abandon the worship of your god, Yahweh. But, but now that you're here, you do need to worship these new gods and bow to this statue. And others would ask, well, what's the big deal? I mean, no one is stopping you from worshiping Yahweh in private. But publicly, you just also have to worship these gods. And friends, the church today is taking up the culture on this offer. You can continue to worship Jesus, but you must also now bow and worship the idol of sexual expression, the gods of gender identity, the idol of intersectionality, the pantheon of plurality. You can continue to worship Jesus just as long as when the music plays, you bow down to the golden statues that have been set up by our culture. And friends, too many today continue to choose to bow. And I'm sure that some people think, well, it's a small price to pay. I mean, really, it's a small price to pay to be able to continue to worship Jesus and proclaim the true God. I mean, really, aren't all these things just secondary issues? And I'm sure others say, well, I may be bowing with my knee, but I'm not bowing in my heart. And they believe that their resistance was silent, but spiritual. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will not bow their hearts, nor will they bend their knees to an idol. They recognize that idolatry is not a secondary issue. The worship of the Lord is incompatible with the worship of any other god. Many times the Lord spoke through the prophet Isaiah declaring this truth. Isaiah 45.5 I am the Lord. There is no other. Beside me there is no God. Isaiah 42, verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. God is God alone, and He will not share His glory with another. He is not a God created by human hands. He is God alone from before time began. And He is on the throne. He is God alone. You can't worship the gods of this world and the true God alongside one another. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, we will live no lies. We will bow to no idols. We will give glory to no other. And they are prepared to pay the price. Church, are we? There's always 
always a price to be paid for standing up when others are bowing down to the idols of the world. You know, you may not be cast today into the fire of a furnace, but John Stone Street, the president of the Colson Center, has written extensively about the need for Christians today to develop a theology of getting fired. A theology of getting fired. Because you may not be at risk of being cast into a fiery furnace, but the time is coming when you may need to be, you will be forced to choose between your faith and your job or your business. You may not face the fire, literal fire of a furnace, but you will unquestionably face the fire of ridicule, the fire of accusation, the fire of social media scorching, the fire of bridges burning. Church, understand there is always a price to pay for not bowing to the statues and gods of this world. And the question is, are you prepared to pay? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were. They were ready. The gauntlet was thrown down in verse 15. Nebuchadnezzar says, Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answer the king in what is one of the most magnificent statements of faith in the whole of Scripture. Verses 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, first of all, they look at the king and they say, we have no need to answer you in this matter. They are facing the most powerful man, the most powerful leader in the world at that time. And they say, request denied. We have no need to answer you in this matter. Friends, you will never speak the truth to power if you do not believe that there is a greater power you're accountable to. They can look in the eye, the most powerful man on the earth at that time, and they can say no because we serve a power greater than you. Nebuchadnezzar thinks he is the greatest power in the world, and they say no, there is a power greater, and we serve him. And in the same way, many years later, Jesus' followers, when they were dragged before the most powerful religious leaders of their day and commanded to no longer speak the name of Jesus, Acts 5.29 records But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. We have no need to answer you in this matter. We must obey God. Friends, could it be? Could it be that the Christian church today is silent? Because frankly, we have an anemic view of God's power, of his glory, of his majesty, that we have quietly accepted that the power of Nebuchadnezzar, of Caesar, of the culture, of the intelligentsia, of the media, that their power is actually greater, so we should bow to it? Why are we silent? The question facing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And they have a confident answer in verse 17. Our God, our God will deliver us out of your hands. Church, we can have this same confidence today because God always delivers His people. God always delivers His people. But let's be clear about exactly what that means. Friends, God will always deliver His people. However, we need to understand that sometimes He might deliver us from 
Sometimes he delivers us through, and sometimes he delivers us to. From, through, or to. I wish I'd come up with this distinction because it's a good one. But God always delivers his people. From, through, or to. Sometimes God chooses to deliver us from a trial. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have been spared the trial of the furnace. He, He could have spared them and delivered them from it. But he didn't. However, what did he do? The Lord was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and delivered them through it. He didn't deliver them from it. He delivered them through it, through the trial of the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to go through the fire and the furnace and the fear, but they were ultimately delivered through that trial. And friends, if God chooses to deliver us through a trial rather than from a trial, is he any less good and faithful? He showed himself good and faithful to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he delivered them through the trial. So sometimes God delivers us from, sometimes he delivers us through, but sometimes, friends, God will deliver us to. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, friends, if they had defied the king and been cast in the furnace, and if they perished, if they died in that furnace, does that mean that God failed to deliver them out of Nebuchadnezzar's hand? You know, we all know men and women of faith who became ill, who got in an accident, and God didn't deliver them from that trial. They suffered from sickness. God didn't deliver them through the trial because they didn't recover. But does that mean God failed to deliver them? Friends, it's in those occasions that God delivers us too. By the trial, by the accident, by the sickness, God delivers us safely to himself. If Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had perished in the furnace, they would have been delivered from Nebuchadnezzar's hand to the glorious presence of God. Even if they died, Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't have won. Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't have been victorious. Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't have had the final word. God still did. Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have been delivered to God's presence. Church, this is our confidence. In Jesus Christ, there is nothing that can separate us from God. Not persecution, suffering, sickness, even death itself. Romans 8, 38-39. I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, He delivers us. He delivers us from, sometimes He delivers us through, but sometimes He delivers us to. And while God always delivers, it doesn't mean then that you won't face suffering, that you won't face pain, and that you might not face death itself, but God always delivers. Now why? Why does God deliver one person from a trial? Why does God choose to deliver another person through a trial? Why does God sometimes use those trials to deliver the faithful to Himself? It's a mystery. We don't know. But what we do know is that our God always delivers from the hand of the enemy. So church, whatever you face and whatever you are facing, you can face with confidence. When the enemy looks at you and says, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Our faith roars, Nebuchadnezzar, God will deliver me from your hand. Gods of this culture, God will deliver me from your hand. Cancer, God will deliver me from your hand. Tragedy, God will deliver me from your hand. Death itself, God will deliver me 
from your hand. But we might pause to ask, what happens when God doesn't deliver us the way we want Him to deliver us? What happens when God doesn't answer the way we prayed? In verse 17, we hear Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego confidently declare, God is able. They believe God has the power, but what happens when God's power doesn't operate exactly the way you asked it to operate? What happens when God's power doesn't come through exactly the way you want it to come through? The Christian music group Mercy Me wrote a profound song based upon this statement of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and their response in verses 17 and 18. The chorus of the song, the song's titled, Even If, and the chorus confidently declares, I know you're able and I know you can. Save through the fire with your mighty hand, but even if you don't, my hope is in you alone. I know the sorrow and I know the hurt would all go away if you would just say the word. But even if you don't, my hope is you alone. And that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego declare in verse 18. They declare, even if God doesn't deliver us in the way that we desire, even if He doesn't deliver us from or through, we will still put our hope in Him. We will not bow to false gods. Friends, it's so easy for us to trust in God when His power always benefits us. It's easy to stand against false gods when God answers always the way you ask. But what happens when God is able, but He doesn't? Will you bow to the God of despair? Will you bow to the God of victimhood? Will you bow then to the God of your own wisdom and understanding? Will you bow then to the God of bitterness? Friends, God never promised to deliver us exactly as we ask or desire each and every time. He has not promised that we will escape all pain, all sorrow, all suffering, and all death. So what happens when God is able, but God does not? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, even if, even if God's power does not deliver us the way we prayed, the way we hoped, we will choose to trust in Him. And friends, that, that is faith. It takes very little faith for us to trust God when His power benefits us. Faith is tested and forged in the fire of these even-if moments. Friends, can you, can you trust a God whose power doesn't always deliver you exactly the way that you desire? Can you too say, even if He does not, we will not serve your God or worship the golden image that you've set up? Now, not very surprisingly, the king does not take well to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's response. He heats up the furnace so hot that the men who throw the three into the fire are themselves killed as they throw them in the fire. And yet, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fall into the furnace, and they themselves are not consumed. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar looks into the furnace. He sees Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're now unbound. They're walking around in the midst of the fire. However, even more shocking, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not alone in the furnace. Verse 25, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of 
the God. Friends, there is another in the fire. That's the gospel. That is the good news. There is another with us in the fire. The the Lord spoke through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 43, verses 2 and 3. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. When, I, when you walk through the fire, I, your Savior, will be with you. And friends, the three were called out of the fire. And do you notice that the fourth man did not come out of the furnace? Could it be that this one, a son of the gods, remained to take their place in the fire? To bear their punishment? To endure their flame so that they might walk free? Church, that's the gospel. We have a God, a Savior, who has taken our place. He has borne our sins upon the cross. He has endured the fiery wrath of our punishment. He has died our death so that we can now walk free. Friends, this is the gospel. This is the good news. You and I are not alone. We are not alone in the fire. God, our Savior, He is the one with us. He is the God who delivers. And friends, do you know this God? Do you know Jesus Christ, the fourth man, the one who is with us in the fire, the one who has come so that we may walk free? And if not, I would love to talk to you and to pray with you after the service so that you might know the God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, this whole scene doesn't have the effect that Nebuchadnezzar had intended. Verse 27, the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's counselors gathered together. They saw the fire had not, not, the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Friends, the fire had no power over them. Their hair was not singed, cloaks not harmed, not even the smell of smoke. And if you've been near a campfire, you know how difficult that is. The fire of Nebuchadnezzar didn't have any power upon them because the power of God was greater. The fire of Nebuchadnezzar has no power because the power of God is greater. Who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Well, Nebuchadnezzar, you have no power here. Your fire has no power here because the power belongs to the Lord and He walks with us in the midst of the fire. Friends, Nebuchadnezzar had gathered all of those officials listed there on the plain in order to worship him and his idol. And instead, what do they see? Not the grandeur of Nebuchadnezzar. They witness the power of God. And in the end, Nebuchadnezzar himself commands them, worship the power of the true God. The same mouth that in verse 15 issued the challenge, who's the God who will deliver you out of my hands, is the mouth that actually answers the challenge in verse 28. Verse 28, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Friends, who's the God who will deliver It's the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's delivered to them. 
And church, the question for us today is, do you believe? Do you believe that our God has such power? Do you believe that our God is a God who will deliver from, through, or to, but our God will always deliver? Can you have faith in a God who is able, but His power doesn't always act in the way that you ask? Can you believe that His power is greater so that you will stand tall when others around you bow? Because church, as the music plays louder, as the crowds bow and become more insistent that you join them, as the flames of the furnace are stoked hotter, will you pay the price? Will you bow? Who is God? Who is the God who will deliver? And where will your trust be? Let's pray. Father, thank you that there's another who stands with us in the fire. The Son of God. The Son of God who took on flesh, who came, dwelt amongst us, who took our place upon the cross, bore our sins and our burdens, died our death, and rose again victorious to life on the third day. And that's what we come to this table now to celebrate. We celebrate the fourth man in the fire. We celebrate the God who saves, the God who delivers, the God who is greater and more powerful than any other God, than any other power. And in Him do we put our hope and our trust today. Father, we worship You. In Jesus' name. Amen. If the elders would come forward.